Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. Yes, and if you have questions, we want to take time at the end of every podcast we can uh, and answer those questions for you. So feel free to send those in to us. Maybe they come up while you're reading along or you're reading a certain passage in Scripture uh, or something we talk about here. We want to take some time to answer those questions every week. Uh, so you can send in those questions at info at grove.church. Shoot us an email. Or if you jump onto the Grove uh, Church Facebook page, we are the Grove Church in Washington State, Marysville, and Snohomish. Uh, you can give us a thumbs up and like it, but you can also just direct message us there with those questions as well. Exactly. Uh, so today we are talking about the Trinity. So yes. <laughs> complicated topic. Um, and it's funny, we were we were just talking right before we hit record about how really this episode could be titled um, The Nature and Character of God, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. But we're going to talk a lot about the Trinity just because it's complicated. Yeah. And I remember, um, you know, growing up, you'd always hear like, well, God is like an egg and there's the yolk <laughs> yeah, right. and the, the egg white and the shell. And like, even as a kid, I was like, well, this is kind of dumb, yeah. um, but it is. Mine was always hearing the, the three different forms of water, the H2O. There you go. The steam with what water and then ice. Or the classic St. Patrick three leaf clover. Um, but I've never heard that one before. Really? Yep. Is that like, I thought that was just super well known. Anyway, well, no. we don't. Well, this isn't a Saint, well This isn't a St. Patrick episode. No. Although uh, St. Patrick of Ireland is a great book. I don't remember the author, but you should check it out if you want to learn more about him. All right. So, uh, as far as what resources we are using today, uh, we are using, as always, the ESV Study Bible, the Logos Bible software, um, and then Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, mm-hmm. um, which is one of my favorite reference. It's a really books. good book. Yeah, it's not necessary. I mean, if you want to, um, more power to you. Um, but it's probably not a book that you're going to read through because it's like a thousand pages of, um, of just reference, but it's a really great book if you're wanting to dive into a topic. Um, and really what it does is, I think we've talked about on the podcast before, but it's worth bringing up. Um, there's kind of two different worlds of there's biblical theology and systematic theology. Mm. I think that's what the first one is called, but biblical theology would be, you know, what does Matthew the book say about who Jesus is. And then systematic theology would be what does the Bible as a whole say about who Jesus is? And both of those things are really important. Yeah. So you need, you need them both. Um, but what a systematic theology book, what does is it basically says topic, 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 here's what the Bible as a whole says yeah. about this topic. So that's why we're using that reference book. Whereas when we go through book studies, for instance, we're not really interested in what does the rest of the Bible say mm-hmm. about this? We're kind of interested in diving into that book in particular. So both are really helpful. Um, quick little lesson for you about systematic versus biblical theology. And I know you were all wanting to know more about it. I just my glasses up on my forehead. Well, anyway. Uh, Thank you. So the way we're going to break this down. That's a bad joke. Um, is kind of just talk about uh, the individual persons of the Trinity. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, kind of talk about them. Um, and then we're going to talk about the Trinity in the Old Testament, the Trinity in the New Testament. Um, and then we'll talk at the end really about yeah. understanding the Trinity a and little if, bit better. And if you're listening and you're like, what the heck is the Trinity? Just real quick, there's a, you'll hear more about it, but it's this idea of three persons in one form. It's three persons in one. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all in one, but they all exist in three separate parts. So that's why we're going to take time and work through, here's the Father, here's the Son, here's the Holy Spirit, and then talk about what the Old Testament and New Testament says about the Holy Spirit and, and reveals about exactly. it. Exactly. And if you're confused, um, don't worry because, and I'm not exaggerating, this is the most complicated Christian doctrine that yeah. there is. I can't think of one that's more. So. Yeah. And there's, it's, yeah, it's not, <laughs> if you leave having all your questions answered, then 
then we did Come amazing, talk to me. but yes. probably not. Um, so anyway. then share this podcast with every Christian, you know, so that way they can follow But we're all going to leave with questions and like, well, it doesn't, I don't understand. And that's okay. Cause there's some things that we will not understand until we get to heaven to where our minds are fully unveiled. Well, dude, don't, don't spoil the end of the podcast. Well, but, too late. Um, so what it's we- It's good to tell people where you're going. That's fair. So that way they anticipate getting there. So what we know about God in the Bible, the nature of God, is that God eternally exists in three separate persons, um, but one essence, I guess, is the way that you could put it. So there is one God, that one God exists as three persons. Mm-hmm. And when we say eternally exists, that's what we mean is that- um, a lot of times, and the, there's a ton of heresies about, about the Trinity. One of the heresies is that God the Father was first, and He created God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Um, but that's that's not what we believe. Uh, no, that's not what the Bible it's teaches. What, it's not what we, we see that the Bible teaches. Us, yeah. yeah, and I think I, I think it's in the New Testament section, but it's worth bringing up that um, in John one it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." So in other words, there was never a time where the Word was not with God. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the Father. So just to kind of do it. dive in, um, the father is the head of the Trinity, which is weird because we just kind of talked about how they're equal. Yeah. Um, but even within the, the Trinity, both Jesus and the spirit submit to the will of the father. And you yeah. see that all throughout the gospels. Um, probably the most famous scene is when uh, Jesus is praying in Gethsemane. Gethsemane, uh, that word always screws me up. Um, but when Jesus is praying in that garden... Um, and he says, not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. And so there is um, some type of submission there. He is co-equal with the other persons in the Trinity. And in, in, in other words, they're all equally God. Um, but the father has some type of a headship. Yeah. Um, but even in that, you'll find, you know, in scripture, you'll find that each, each, you know, being in the, or each person in the, in the Trinity also defers to the authority of each other. I mean, there's moments where God does not intervene when Christ is a, a working or whatever. It's, it's. At that point, it's Christ's authority to, to do, you know, in essence, he fulfills the will of God because, you know, I've read it even this morning. It was the idea that Jesus is the exegesis of God. He's the full revelation and re- and revealing who God is. Um, but you find that there's moments in Scripture where where God will, you know, defer and and withhold authority because the Holy Spirit's already at work or the Jesus at work, too. So there is sure. this mutual understanding and respect to each other and how each each you know person plays out their role to reveal the fullness of God's love. Yeah, that's great. And and because um, all three persons of the Trinity are of the same character, I would imagine there's not much arguing going on. No. So it's not like... <laughs> there might be some wrestling matches like, brother, no, I'm just kidding. I don't um, know. So who knows? Anyways, uh, a couple of interesting things about the Father is uh, that is who we're directed to pray to by Jesus. So mm-hmm. when we hear the Lord's Supper, um, he says, you know, our Father who art in heaven. And so the Father is... And this is where it gets kind of hairy, um, but the Father is usually the person of the Trinity who we pray to, but there's also parts in, in Acts where you see where they seek the Holy Spirit and stuff like that. So yeah. it, it goes, it goes around. Um, and then finally, uh, he is the most forward facing member of the Trinity in the old Testament. And so what I mean by that is, you know, 90% of the time in the old Testament, um, when you see the word God or the Lord, it's referring to God, the father is, is kind of what's happening there. Um, although as we'll see later in the podcast, we do see, uh, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, which is always kind of interesting. Those are called Christophanies for when you see Jesus. It's just a fun word to know. It is a fun word. Uh, if mo- you can use that in a sentence this week, do it. You get a gold star. Uh, next person of the Trinity is the Son. Um, I, there's not a ton that has to be said about him because like, it's, it's Jesus. And so, he's got four books written about him. Yeah. So uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just like God the Father is the most forward-facing um, part of the a person of the Trinity in the Old Testament. 
Jesus is the most forward facing person of the Trinity in the New Testament. Yeah. Um, at least in the least Gospels. In the Gospels yeah. yeah. So we'll, we're getting there. Um, but yeah, so Jesus is around. We get a lot of him. And I love what Aaron said earlier. Um, and remind me of a verse, and I cannot place the reference of it. Um, but basically, the idea of we, we knew God in part, and in Christ, he's been fully revealed. Um, or at least the character of God. And I'm, I'm totally blanking on where that's from. But um, the idea of God the Son is that in the person of Jesus, God revealed himself mm-hmm. um, more clearly to humanity, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so God, um, the Son, Jesus, is really what... It makes us Christians because the work of Christ was to was for, for the for the forgiveness of our sins, our yeah. salvation. Um, and obviously, as the name implies, um, Christ is what separates Christians from uh, from Jews. That mm-hmm. is the, that's the big line right there is as far as like the difference in beliefs uh, yeah. is God the Son. Well, and Jesus is the one that separates all other religions from the Christian religion. Also true. So Jesus is the one that Christianity believes is the Son of God, died and rose again for the sins of the world and sins of humanity. Um, other religions will call on Christ as a great teacher, a great prophet, but they don't they don't highlight or see him as div- divine, as the son of God. Um, and even within, you know, the Christian worldview, there's other religions, so to speak, that will identify as Christian that don't have that same theology. They don't have right. the same perspective. So the, the cult groups as we'll call them. Yeah, there you um, go. and then finally we have God, the Holy spirit. Um, and I put the spirit is probably the most consistently mentioned in both the old and new Testament. And what I mean by that is even though he's not mentioned a ton in the old Testament, he's mentioned a lot. Um, and then the New Testament, once the gospels are done, really from Acts, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is kind of the main mm-hmm. person of the Trinity that we're hearing about. And then in a lot of the letters, um, we're hearing about moves of the Spirit and stuff like that. Although Jesus makes a comeback in Revelation. So we hear... Don't call it a comeback. Don't. <laughs> anyway. I was never behind. Uh, so that's that's the Spirit. Um, the Spirit of God is mentioned multiple times in the Old Testament, like we said. And so, and we'll get kind of into to what that is, but... Mm. Um, I guess if you want to view God the Son as God revealed to humanity, um, God the Holy Spirit is God with humanity now. Yeah. And so, and that is who, um, when we talk about, you know, being led by God or um, experiencing conviction of sin, um, any any of those things, what we're talking about is is an internal work of the Holy Spirit in in our hearts. Yeah. So that's the idea there. My chair's go squeak, go so squeaky today. All right. So with that being said. Um, one of the one of the interesting things about the Trinity that you always hear brought up is that the word Trinity um, is not in the Bible. And so if you if you look at all. if you look in your index, you're not going to find a verse where it's like this is the Trinity. This is what it's about. Um, so really, what it is is it's a collection of doctrine. So it's taking all the parts of the Bible where it talks about the nature and the character of mm-hmm. God and bringing it together. And so the idea of Trinity is what we get out of that. And the word actually means triunity. Um, and so it's three in one is kind of the big, um, the big phrase to describe it. And you'll hear that in hymns all the time, which is, I mean, you know, great line, three in one. It's always good. Um, but a couple places in the Old Testament um, that hint at this character of God in Genesis 1, 26, this is a really famous one. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, which I'm glad God gave us dominions over the bugs. Right. Um, so right there, it and says- Why are we afraid of them? Anyways, just- Oh, bugs the worst. <laughs> or at least spiders. I had, to, I had to convince my son the other day to get an ant off his hand. He's like, no, I can't. I'm like, you can, bud. 
He was so afraid it was hilarious. Really? I would have assumed Gideon would have loved having an ant on his hand. Just no, like watching it was creepy it. crawly and it scared him a little bit. That's fair. Classic. He's really a softy. What a, what, just like his old man. Um, true. But so it says, and then God said, let us make man in our image. Um, and it's not referring to the angels because the angels are not made in God's image. Like when we see um, a lot of the times they're described as like, uh, if I think of the Isaiah passage where they have like, they faces like four animals and all these different things in the wings and stuff like that. And so um, there is something special about the way humans are created. And the, the Latin theological term for that is the Mago Dei, mm-hmm. um, which is in the image of God. And so when he says, let us make man in our image, he's referring to a multiple persons of who God is. Yeah. Um, and just a little bit later, we get in Genesis 3.22, the Tower of Babel. Um, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Less, uh, now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat it and live forever. And so what we have there is, again, God is, um, I said Tower of Babel. That's not Tower of Babel. Sorry. That's the fall. So Yeah. Tower uh, of Babel is a different conversation. Sorry, guys. Uh, but anyways, Confusing. the old man has become like us in knowing good and evil, which is clearly a reference to God because he's not saying like, Behold, angels, man has become like us because <laughs> yeah, right. that's not the that's not the point of the the story there. Well, then I think it's in Hebrews. It talks about man being created a little lower than the angels or something along those lines. Right? Or angels are. Yeah, I don't. I don't. But remember. then we judge angels. Apparently, it's an interesting. Yeah, it's a weird. Uh, there's things that I'm just like I don't understand. So but that would be. We don't need to get into that now. But that would be an interesting episode for down the road. So a lot of research. I have to go into that one though. Uh, in Genesis eleven seven. Uh, God says, come, let us go down. And con- this is Tower of Babel. All right, come, yes. let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech, which again would be um, God referring to himself. And then one of my favorite passages of scripture, Isaiah 6, um, one of the verses in it, verse 8 says, and then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Which there it's Evan didn't say that. Isaiah said it. Right. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Side note, this quote was also in the movie Fury, just so you know. Fury. Shia LaBeouf, Brad Yeah, Pitt, I know the, the, the tank. tank movie. We watched it at your house. I don't remember We did. Line, Dude, though. it was epic watching Dude, my that house. Thing Lights was, out, volume up. That thing was, that so, was a sorry. bloody movie. <laughs> that was a crazy movie. It was good though. Yes. Anyway, so yeah, Fury, that's what we're talking about today. Um, but I do love how it's... Um, God, the father saying, whom shall I send? So yeah. referring to himself as his own person and who will go for us. And then also referring to himself in the triune form as well. Yeah. So um, really cool there. Um, I'll let Aaron, if you want to read Psalm 45, six through seven. Yeah. This it is says a this complicated one. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness be beyond your companions. <clears throat> And Sorry. one of the things I loved in um, in systematic theology was it, it said that you could translate this passage, not translate literally, like this is what the words mean, but in light of the New Testament, you could kind of say, um, instead of, uh, therefore God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions, you could say, therefore, son, the father has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Hmm. And, and there's really no other way to interpret that. Um, and even like modern Jewish interpretations of it have to really dance around it because there's, there's no other way. Cause it, it's both God, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, therefore God, your God has anointed you. So is it saying that there is someone over God? Like there's another God. Um, and there are some like offshoots of Christianity that believe that, but 
Um, it, you can't but they're really, wrong. Yeah, you can't get there from scripture. There's so what you really have to get at is, and this is why you have to look at it from the whole of scripture and not just one section or one verse. And this is where sometimes we go wrong, is we take a specific passage one time, and we create an idea, a concept which which can be called doctrine, a doctrine out of that one passage, and you lose the entirety of scripture. Nowhere else in scripture can we defer or even draw out this idea that there's a God above God. Um, which is why I would, this is, which is why I just point blank said they're wrong is right. because they're, 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 what is it? I said, Jesus, they're taking one passage and letting it be the foundation, which where they build everything off of and neg neglecting the rest of scripture. Right. It's taking, taking your ideas and reading them into scripture instead of taking, which is really easy to do. Scripture. Let's just be honest. Oh yeah. You have to so, work against it all the time. Mm -hmm. And yet, well, you can't even, you have to trust the Holy spirit to help you in the midst of that too. So anyways. Absolutely. And then um, you mentioned Hebrews, but yeah, in Hebrews 1.8, I thought it was interesting um, that it actually references that Psalm. And so it says, yeah. but of the son, which is Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom, mm -hmm. which is the first verse of that Psalm 45 passage. So, And just a reminder for many of you listening, if you see a Psalm quoted in a, in a passage in the New Testament, it's actually referring to the entire Psalm, not just a section of the Psalm. So there just you a side note. The goal uh, is to remind you of the entire Psalm. <laughs> Uh, and then finally for the old Testament, there's a lot more, but we, you know, we can't just dive into all of them. No, um, it would take probably a lot of time that we don't have. Yeah. Like, I mean, two of the most famous ones, I think we talked about it. We've talked about it on the podcast pretty recently, but there's in Genesis one and the spirit of God hovered over the face of the mm -hmm. waters. And then, um, with Samson and I think with Saul, with a lot of the Kings, it says the spirit of the spirit of the Lord came upon so-and-so yeah. and empowered him to do what he needed to do. Many so, different times. Yep. Book of Judges, it's filled with that like crazy, but even... Saul, it, man, even different, yeah, all throughout the Old Testament. We're both, we're both struggling with our voices today a little Something's bit, if you couldn't tell. So I'm yawning. Aaron's got frogs in his throat. We're just, we're, we're powering through for, for you, the people. Happy, <laughs> happy podcast day. Um, and so the final one in the Old Testament is Isaiah 6310. Um, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. So it's just a reference to the Holy Spirit we have there in mm -hmm. Uh, Isaiah. Yeah. Just a reminder, as we're reading these passages, we're just highlighting the Old Testament where it highlights beyond just God, but it actually alludes to a Trinity and alludes to the, the oneness of three different people. Exactly. Because I like, I read that, I'm like, I just want to know more about that passage now. So <laughs> yeah. that's not the point of the, that passage being highlighted. But hey, if you're inspired to go look at these do passages, it. do it. Because that's, that's what's fun. So uh, getting into the New Testament, and this is where we get really starting to get a clear picture of um, the Trinity idea, because mm -hmm. none of none of the passages we just talked about in the Old Testament are saying there's three, right? It's just kind of saying that it's highlighting different persons within the Trinity, right? In the New Testament, this is the most famous passage that we get um, as far as like seeing the Trinity in action. Um, so it's when John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus and it says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So right there, Jesus is getting baptized. He's the son. Holy Spirit shows up. As a dove. And then God audibly speaks. So you have all three members Boom. of the Trinity right there. That's um, God's mic drop almost. Shabam. Actually, the cross is probably more his mic drop. But for and the Trinity, that'll be his mic drop. There you go. And then probably the most famous way that we... Uh, say the Trinity, at least in, in modern context of church, is uh, when Jesus is giving the Great Commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit. So even today, when we baptize people, we say, it's my, my pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then 
dunk underwater. So, and we do that as a representation of who they're aligning with their lives with the public confession of God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. It's not a, a version of God, but it's, that's part of the reason why like as water baptism, full immersion is I'm aligning my, my life with the faith in Christ and what he stood for. So absolutely. Um, and then a couple other spots that maybe we don't think of, so they're not as famous as maybe the, the Matthew verses that we just read, but in first Corinthians 12, four through six, it says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there are varieties of services, but the same Lord and everyone, and there are various activities, but is the same God who is empowered, who empowers them in all in everyone. So it's three different ways of referring to God right yeah. there. So you have the spirit. The Lord, which would be Christ as the Lord and Savior. Yep, and you have God there who empowers everyone. So, good deal there. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, in First Peter chapter one verse two, we get according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience of Jesus Christ and uh, for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So, again, there's a reference. Yep, that's just Peter talking about all three members of the Trinity. And it's actually really helpful too, because what you get with um, with that is a really clear understanding of how did the disciples interpret um, what Jesus taught them about the nature yeah. of God, which is, you know, as far as primary sources go, you can't get much closer than the disciples. So it's, yeah. a, it's a good deal. And so seeing how Peter writes, um, and this is probably at the latest, this is like 30 years after um, Christ's ascension, but probably a little bit earlier than that. Cause it was the earliest, the latest it could be is the sixties. Cause Peter died in 65, 1960s. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, so, uh, that is what it would be. And so that's, that kind of wraps it up as far as. And the, that's just a quick snapshot of the biblical perspective, perspective of the Trinity, referring to the different parts of the Trinity, different persons of the Trinity. Um, uh, like we said, there's so much to scripture. And as you read through scripture, like there's going to be different moments and different allusions um, and to to refer to the the Holy Spirit or God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit like those this is just like we're just trying to give you a quick snapshot like the Trinity exists this is who the Trinity is um, and here's some references from Scripture so you're not just taking some random doctrine that some guy came up with thousands or hundreds of years ago right so that's the snapshot and so the idea and I say for, snapshot intentionally yeah it's not yeah it's, it's, it's not a long exposure it's a stinking snapshot you like, could do click. a full-on you know semester college course on the yep. trinity and still not fill up everything so uh, but we want to spend a couple minutes here just kind of talking about understanding the trinity a little bit more yeah, because i don't again, know what analogy you're going to refer to is, he oh, says hugh ross analogy in the in notes and i don't know what that is but i know the analogy yeah that's why i'm letting uh, you do it but anyway but i want to make sure i said something so they all know that i was still here there you go uh, i mean then we have you know q a portion at the end but no i think we and we alluded to it at the beginning but i think a lot of times um all right so i'll start with the analogy and we'll kind of go from there so this, this is going to be a little bit of a frustrating analogy i think but um, the way he describes it, and I've used it before on the podcast, I believe, um, but it's a, imagine for a moment um, that there was a person who could only perceive two dimensions. And so they live like, we'll say they live on a wall, um, but they can only perceive things in two dimensions. They have no concept of of 3D. They They have no way of even understanding what that is. And so if one day you took three fingers and you put them into... Um, onto that, onto that wall, what the person would perceive is three separate circles, right? Um, because they wouldn't have any understanding of how, of how those three separate circles could actually be one thing. Um, and the analogy is basically, that's the same for us, that God exists in a way 
that we can't comprehend. Right now, we can only comprehend um, what we're made to comprehend. We can only comprehend these three dimensions. We can only comprehend what we see in front of us. The way God exists is not in a way that all of a sudden can be easily explained to mm-hmm. us. Just like you know, the imaginary 2D person can't comprehend what it is uh, to put three fingers on the wall. So that's the analogy, right? Um, and the reason I say it's frustrating is because basically it's an analogy saying that we're not going to be able to understand yeah. the, the Trinity. But in our in our human pridefulness, we don't like that. Right. We don't like the fact that we can't pinpoint something and understand it. But the reason that's important is because that's what a lot of false doctrines come out of. Um, so, for instance, like and we, we all talked about. But so the, the one that you brought up with um, um, hearing God explained as like, well, it's like ice and water and vapor. Well, like there there are heresies that say that. God the Father was the God of the Old Testament, and then he changed to God the Son, mm-hmm. and then he changed to God the Holy Spirit, which obviously is not what people are intending to teach yeah. when they do it. But that's that's an easy way, like yeah. when you say that, that's how it could go down. Or for instance, um, you know, the 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 egg analogy that I talked about when I was a kid. Well, like you could very easily extrapolate from that that, like, okay, well, they're just kind of like it's all different parts of God, like body parts or whatever it is, mm-hmm. which which it's not because um it's three persons existing as one. Yeah. And so it is really complicated. Um, and, and this might not be a satisfactory answer, but we kind of just have to take God at his word yeah. there. And then... Which is why we spent so much time working through scripture more than everything else. Right. And sharing ideas about these. We're just highlighting scriptures and then pointing out this is what it's referring to more than just God, the Father. Yeah. And then we just have to trust on the other side of eternity. We'll have it um, better explained to us. Yeah. There's a... There's a verse that I, I, I kind of go, my mind always drifts back to in moments and conversations like this that, um, and I, I believe it's in Proverbs. I, I should probably know the reference because I, I hold to it so tightly sometimes, but um, it, it just says this, that it's for the glory of a king to find out a matter, to seek out a matter. It's, the, it's for the glory of God to conceal a matter. Uh, and as I read that, I remember years ago, I was just like, huh, there's things that I will not know because for, for my understanding, God can conceal those matters because they're not important enough to be revealed in this time. And at the end of the day, like it's for the glory of a king. Our, our lives as followers of Christ is meant to glorify God. Jesus says this in the garden of um, Gethsemane as he's praying, John 17, he says, "My like glorify your son so you may be glorified. It's not glorify me so I can be glorified. So the glory of a king is to seek out a matter, is to find answers, is, to, is all those questions that we have and we hold to, we just want those answers to be nailed, but to be answered because at the end of the day, all those questions to be answered, but at the end of the end of the day, it's it really is to to bring satisfaction and glory to us, so we have we can be satisfied in an answer. And this is one of those moments where we we look at God's word, we understand what He's saying to us, and implying to us about truth and the Trinity, about three persons existing in one form or one you know one being, whatever however you want to phrase it. And we just have to take God as His word. We have to understand that there's certain things that we will not fathom. And we have to be okay with that because it's for the glory of God to conceal the matter. I'd rather continue to run to God with my questions than have a question answered and not need God anymore. Uh, and so that's the tension like in that verse. And I'm pretty sure it's in Proverbs, but yeah, maybe I'll find it and Evan can put it in the show notes, but that's it, just the thought. And so much of the theme of the Bible really when, when you see human, human characters um, seeking after the Lord is basically there's things that they're just not going to understand. Um, and one of the ways I actually heard it really beautifully explained um in one of the podcasts i like listening to was um um the idea that someone was just basically struggling with you know judgment and like i don't like well, like this person's in hell or whatever it is and then the, basically the, the answer was like okay well like you got to get out of your head deciding for yourself what god's judgment is we don't know much about what it is what we do know is that it's going to be perfect 
um, and it's going to be just. And that's kind of the same thing with you kind of almost got to get out of your head of trying to understand everything about the Trinity. We don't know much about it. What we do know is that it's perfect mm-hmm. and that it's just kind of the way that God exists. Yeah. So Proverbs 25, 2. Oh, there you go. Uh, anyways, we're going to do, we have one question today, but it's a two-parter. So it's kind of two questions. Um, but Evan's going to answer the first part. I'll answer the second. That is not true. False. But we'll see why in a second. Uh, and so, but before we, we get to the Q&A portion, uh, just do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on whatever um, platform you're listening on. It helps just get the podcast out there uh, to more people. And then someone left a one-star review. So now we're at 4.5 stars. Someone so did? let's, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know who. They didn't write anything. So no, no constructive criticism from that person. Yeah. But, you know, let's it's get... It's probably because we keep asking for five stars. That's probably true. It's not to pat our ego. All it is is just to increase algorithm. We just... If you like this and you've, you, you've enjoyed it, it's the algorithm. Five star is all we care about. We're not looking for our accolades. I don't, I don't, like I don't get an increase in my paycheck every month if we have a five star review. That is accurate. <laughs> but uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and move into uh, the Q&A portion today. And so um, this actually came up with that I thought was really interesting. Um, so reading first Samuel eight as part of the Bible plan, it struck me that the Israelites wanted a King, not really because they didn't think Samuel was any good, but because his sons were not following in the ways of the Lord, or in other words, um, because Samuel's sons kind of sucked. So, which is interesting (laughs) because we actually see that come up in judges all the time. Um, because Eli's sons and Eli was one of the judges of Israel. Eli's sons were the worst. That's why Samuel was chosen. Um, I forgot the other judge, but there's one judge who's, is it Gideon who his sons are like super lame? I don't remember off the top of my head. So I could be, I could be besmirching the names of Gideon's sons. Um, so the first question, and this is the one where I will be deferring to Aaron, uh, what reassurances can you point to for those who are worried about raising their kids to take your faith as their own? Um, so basically as Samuel failed in this, how, what can we as parents do to make sure we don't fail? And then it says, aside from recommending Jen's podcast, which if you don't know about that podcast, that's our sister podcast, um, the Grove Family podcast, where uh, Jen, our Connections pastor, interviews a different person every week and they talk about family topics. So yeah. really good. Give that one a listen. But Aaron, take it away. Yeah, there's a verse in Proverbs that I, I kind of, I guess I'll launch from. And the only reason why Evan says I, I have to answer this because I have three kids now. So and I have zero because uh, they're doing because I'm doing a great job with that apparently with a seven year old, a three year old, and two month old, which is today her two month birthday when we're recording this podcast. So, um, but the Proverbs twenty two six says this. Um, I'll read it from the NIV and then the NLT and the ESV just to appease Evan. Uh, but it says, "Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it." New Living Translation says, "Direct your children." onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. And just for Evan, English Standard says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, So when you're asking for assurances, I would just say point blank. Um, Proverbs tells us that if we raise our children um, to love Jesus, to honor God, to pursue him, then we can trust that as they're, when they're older, they won't depart from it. Now, the interesting thing about that verse is it doesn't say they won't be drifting. It doesn't say that they won't that they'll be set and secure in all their ways, all their life. That's not true because uh, we don't have that assurance. But at the end of the day, um, our job as parents is to love our kids as Christ loves us. It's to sacrifice our lives at times for our kids because that's what Christ did. And what I mean by sacrifice, I mean laying down our rights, our incon- you know, in the things that inconvenience us. It's, it's time to love, to care, to cherish our, our kids. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not the best dad at this. I'm not the best guy that does this. There's times where I get really frustrated with my kids. And I, would, I, I like to say, you know, probably more often than not, I get frustrated with my kids when they want something from me, when I'm in the middle of doing something I want to do. But at the end of the day, it's 
It's how much do you love Jesus? And is that playing out in how much you love your kids? And are you inviting them into your relationship with Christ as you're wrestling through things, as you're struggling through things? I don't think it's always about telling your parent or your kids how to do things. I think it's a matter of being actively engaged with your children. Uh, I read something a while ago that talked about seasons of kids' lives. And there's this first season is like that age one to five where it's, you know, it's discipline. It's do this, don't do that. Then it shifts from, you know, from six to like 12 is like coaching. Let me show you how to do this and let me show you where you messed up um, or where or why this went wrong or why this played out. You know, six to 12 is that range. Which is like, where Aaron's at with me. Yeah. I'm still trying to get there. I'd rather just stay in the do this, don't do this because it's easier to be honest with that's you. That's fair. Um, but the, then that's like the 13 to um, 18, whatever, is more of that, like, I'm going to give you some rain, uh, freedom and let you... It's, it's, uh, it's not as active. Maybe that's the coaching route. I don't remember all of them, but it's just, there's certain stages where your kids need you to operate in different capacities, but it's meant we have to be engaged with following, you know, Jesus and then allowing our kids to be a part of that journey too. Um, if we just expect, and this is a quick side note, uh, as a pastor, sometimes the tension that I feel is that parents will leave their kids with the church, expecting the church to raise them to love Jesus. That doesn't work. The church has 40 to 50 hours with your kids a week. Even right now, it's a little different. But typically, parents have exponentially more hours on a given week for their kids to spend time with their kids, to love their kids, help them love Jesus, answer their questions, and create a, a place filled with grace because that's what Jesus does for us. Um, so as far as assurances go, it's we have to be active, but we have to first submit our lives to Jesus as well. Um, we can't we can't teach what we don't know. We can't lead where we have not gone. We can't love in ways that we have not first experienced and encountered love. And so it's a matter of are we willing to pursue Christ enough to where our kids can follow in our footsteps and we can bring them along the journey with us. So um, at the end of the day, there's a, a point where they have to make their own choice. And, and we have to rest in the fact that I've done everything I could do as diligently as I could to help my kids love Jesus and know that he loves them like crazy. So they have to make that choice. Yeah. So I don't know. That's Jen's beautiful. podcast is great. I think there's a lot of great conversations that happen from different seasons and stages of life. Like my said, my, like I said, my kids are seven, three and two months. Uh, and so there's, there's still a lot that I'm learning and still a lot that I have no idea. Like some of you are parents of teenagers. I was a youth pastor, but I only knew so much. I don't know how to parent a teenager. I know how to pastor a teenager and encourage a mom and dad. So um, humility, teachability, and love and grace as much as you can. And there, and there you have it, folks. <laughs> there's, there's your answer. Not that that was great, man. Um, the second part of the question is more for a little bit of both of us, I suppose. It is, um, what is your recommendation as a person in a position of authority for ensuring that you maintain your faithfulness, even with when letting power go to your head would be so easy. Um, and for me, like, I don't, Okay, I don't know what it is, but I've been obsessed with Job this year. Like, I keep going back to it. So I just ordered like three commentaries because I'm like, <laughs> so like awesome. I'm just, I'm just, I'm really digging it. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but one of the major themes of Job is keeping your perspective uh, right. And so, in Job's case, it's keeping his perspective, is keeping God's perspective, not keeping mm -hmm. his own perspective. Um, and and for me, and by no means am I perfect at this because I I struggle with pride all the time. So I really have to like, um intentionally try and, and kill that spirit when, mm -hmm. when I, when I feel it arising in me. Um, and sometimes it's awkward cause I also don't know how to take a compliment very well. And so it's kind of like finding that, finding that middle ground. Um, 
But for me, uh, the other story that always comes up is um, the servant who was forgiven debts and then all of a sudden immediately went out and um, tried to lean on the other servant for a much mm -hmm. smaller debt. And, and that's what it is when, when we as people in authority abuse our power over other people, we, what we do is we forget who we are mm -hmm. um, and who we are. We're not great. Like we're not um, these people. We, we didn't save ourselves. We're not doing these things. We're not perfect people, but we're sinners saved by grace. Um, and God has given us gifts and we're, and we're using those. Um, I love the way Brennan Manning says it, where he says that um, a pastor or a Christian, I think it's actually more of what he's saying, but a Christian is um, is just a, a beggar um, showing other beggars where he found food. Um, yeah. And so it's not that we're better than anyone. Um, and, as Christ and Christians in general, this isn't just leadership. It's important to remember, yeah. but it's keeping the perspective of when I get prideful or when I start looking down on people, whatever it is. Well, and I think this is a Martin Luther quote, but um, you know, but, but for the grace of God, there go I, or mm -hmm. in other words, you know, if it wasn't for. It's a Paul quote. Paul quote. There you go. Wow. I, there I am attributing something in the Bible. Well, and I'm it. sure Martin Luther rephrased it to be something a little bit more similar, but Paul references and implies the same thing, except by the grace of God, there go I like. There you go. Um, but yeah, like it, just remembering, like, you know, when you look at other people, like, and even like, you know, the tax collector and the, um, the Pharisee at the praying at the wall, whatever it is, but man, there's so much grace that God yeah. has given me. And if, if any number of things didn't go the way that it was, then I, I could have easily been, been there. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's realizing when you're working with people, when you're praying with people, when you're ministering with people that you're not better than them at all. Yeah. Like you're, you're showing them the same life giving, um, the same river of life that you found. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my perspective on it, I suppose. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's, you know, spot on. I think of um, the passage in John 13, where, I mean, you want to talk to someone who had authority. You want to talk about someone who um, not just understood he had authority, but he also understand his responsibility with that authority. And it's Jesus in John 13, where he's, he, he takes on the form of a servant. He washes his disciples feet. Yeah. Um, and in that day and age, because of the sandals and because of the dirt streets, like everyone's feet would come in and you're reclining with your feet right next to people. And so in order to sit down and have dinner, you'd have to recline um, with, you know, with your feet being clean and they would normally be a servant. And in the room, as you enter, they would have a bowl and a towel and they would, you would sit down, they would wash your feet. And so you would be able to go have dinner and not have these dirty, stinky, whatever gross feet sitting on someone else's lap right by dinner as we're eating because they reclined a lot in a position of, of, and that was a posture they would recline a lot when they eat. Uh, and so in this moment, Jesus is, I mean, it, this is the last supper. This is the point where Jesus realizes, you know, just, he doesn't realize, but he knows the time is coming to an end where he's going to go to that cross. And he chooses one of his last acts for his disciples personally was to watch each and every one of their feet. And the other side of that too, is just so you know, Judas Iscariot, this was before he betrayed Jesus. This this was before Jesus told him to go and do what the devil had told him to do. And Jesus still washed his feet. Yeah. And and so you uh, you want to be a person of authority and position. My question is, are you willing to wash, in some respects, metaphorically speaking, but even practically, are you willing to serve those who are against you, those who are not with you, those that are at the same table as you, your job as, you know, as a, as a Christian and a person in a position of authority is to serve um, and to model what Christ did. And he, he told it, and it's coming out of that John 13, where Jesus said, then says, you know, 
greater love had no man than this than the one that lays down his life for his friends. I don't call you servants. I call you friends. He then says, what you have seen me do, go and do likewise. Um, and so his challenge and his call to his disciples, those follow, closest followers of his, is to model his behavior in servitude yeah. and love. Um, and and are we willing to do that? I mean, you want to you want to maintain your faithfulness without letting power go to your head. You have to constantly evaluate: Am I willing to serve? Am I serving? Um, this is really stupid uh, kind of comparison, but not that I'm comparing this guy to Jesus. But the statement is really challenging and thought provoking. But one of the things that uh, there's a show that my wife and I have watched it's called New Amsterdam, um, and the the lead his name's Max, but the overseer of this hospital in New Amsterdam, and literally his response when he comes in is, how can I help? How can I help? Every time he's presented with a problem, it's not, I don't want to help around, just do this or do that. It's literally, how can I help? And his whole, the whole point of the show that we're seeing is like, he's turning around this hospital, but really being innovative. And it's a pretty good story in some respects, but that statement, how can I help? I find myself trying to model that at times with yeah. different people that I have authority over. Um, hey, you've got this, how can I help you? versus, hey, I need you to do this. I think there's a difference in nuance, for me at least, because I know I'm, I deal with pride. I, pride is one of my greatest weaknesses. I, I'm, I don't like inconvenience and I like to deal with the, do the things I want to do. So, But I think at the end of the day, we have to remember what did Christ do and what did he model? Not just death on a cross, but he served. And he, he loved people so much that he was willing to wash the feet, even Judas who was against him. Uh, and I read something today that suggested that Judas uh, was never even saved to begin with. Um, so, but maybe, yeah. I mean, that's probably, that's probably where I would land, but, but it was just interesting. Some of the conversation, cause you, you expect all of Jesus's followers to have followed Jesus and have faith. But anyways, right. yeah. So I, that's, that's what comes to mind when I think of this, when it comes to position of authority, what's my responsibility? Um, with, and, and, and I mean, you wash people's feet, you serve them continually. It's going to help you it prevent you from letting your power go to your head. Right. There you go. Um, well, I think that's a great place to end this week's episode. Um, that's we're just going to wrap it up uh, right there. Um, just a quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources and podcasts at our website at grove.church. Have a great day.